Perhaps best known for the historic, picturesque houses of Frankfurt, the annually held Festival of Oktoberfest, and its role as a contemporary European economic powerhouse, Germany is also home to a multitude of mysteries. In today's episode, we'll be exploring two horrific cases from Germany that are still without answers. Vesna Nastiva. Born in Bulgaria in 1952, little is known about the early life of Vesna Nastiva, the daughter of a high-ranking diplomat who also served as a UN ambassador and was part of the Bulgarian Communist Party. Vesna was an incredibly intelligent and well-spoken young woman. After studying chemistry at university in her native country, she went on to be employed by the German Academic Exchange Service in the autumn of 1980, and she took a job working at the Max Planck Institute for Coal Research in Mulheim, Germany. By this point, the 28-year-old had also had two children, although information about them and their father is scarce. Upon starting her new job in October of 1980, Vesna was required to travel to Nuremberg for a two-day conference. On November 1st, she was due to return to Mulheim. Although she intended on boarding the Intercity 620, for which she had a second-class ticket, she ended up riding a train from Weisbaden because of delays. At 10.25 p.m., the train was approaching the borough of Reischholz in Dusseldorf when a 33-year-old teacher on his way home heard an odd groaning noise coming from the neighboring train compartment. Concerned, he looked in to see Vesna being attacked by a young man with either a knife or a dagger. Some sources describe the blade as being stiletto-like. Frightened, the teacher let out a scream, which alerted other passengers to the situation. Unfortunately, it also alerted the attacker, who pulled on the train's emergency brake cord and leapt from the carriage through the window. He disappeared into the night. Meanwhile, passengers who had heard the commotion alerted the onboard staff to the situation. They, in turn, contacted the authorities via radio communications. An ambulance arrived on the scene shortly thereafter, and Vesna was taken to the Dusseldorf University Hospital. Tragically, the teacher's intervention had not been early enough. The 28-year-old had sustained 21 stab wounds, mostly to her chest, and she died two hours after the incident, in the small hours of November 2nd. As she was conscious for a short time before passing away, she was able to speak with investigators, but she couldn't describe her attacker. She told them that he'd come into the carriage and sat next to her before striking. She said to the officers, I've never seen this man. Investigators on the scene had the entire train evacuated, and a search of the nearby woods was conducted in the hopes that the perpetrator had left behind some clue, but he hadn't. The inquiry was headed by Detective Armin Matzler, 
but as there was little evidence of any kind left behind, he had trouble getting things started. Authorities suspected that the culprit had likely injured themselves from the jump, but that they may have gotten a taxi or hitchhiked away from the scene. The only lead that the police had to go on was the description of the killer given by the 33-year-old teacher, the only person on board the train who'd seen the man. Vesna's murderer was described as being between the ages of 20 to 25, of having a stocky build and having long, greasy dark hair and glasses with metal frames. He was around five foot five to five foot seven and wore a black leather jacket and black gloves. With this information, the authorities were able to create a composite sketch of the perpetrator. Five days later on November 7th, the man's description and his sketch were broadcast on a famous German TV show whose name roughly translates to file number XY unsolved. This show is similar to the UK's Crime Watch or Ireland's Crime Call, both of which feature unsolved cases and request the public's help in solving them. Meanwhile, the police extended their search for the killer to the entirety of the state of North Rhine-Westphalia. A few days later, on November 11th, a ticket inspector caught a man who was traveling without a ticket. They were on an express train, and when confronted, the man attempted to jump out of a window, even though the train was still moving. The man was caught by two passengers who pulled him back into the middle of the carriage, but the man then grabbed a knife and stabbed them. One of the passengers was mildly injured and the other was able to restrain him. The man, still nameless at the time, was held for questioning and an officer noted that he resembled a sketch of Vesna's murderer. He contacted the police in Dusseldorf who planned to fly over with their witness in tow, hoping he could make an ID and the case could be solved. However, things did not go to plan as authorities discovered they were unable to contact the teacher. It turned out that he'd gone hunting for a week unbeknownst to the police. While they tracked him down, the suspect in Vesna's case was transferred to Würzburg. Here, the man was identified as an Italian native named publicly as Duilio S. After the police arrived with the teacher, he confirmed that he was 70% sure that this was the man who'd slain Vesna. He had a near identical appearance and similar clothing, although Duilio was 34 and not between the ages of 20 to 25, as the teacher had described. Despite this discrepancy, law enforcement felt that they had their man. Better yet, Duilio ended up confessing and he was extradited to Dusseldorf. However, things quickly fell apart during his first court hearing, in which his defense lawyers argued that not only did the 34-year-old have several mental health issues, but there were also multiple small inconsistencies between Duilio and the police sketch. Additionally, he was unable to describe Vesna. The 34-year-old ultimately retracted his confession, claiming that he had only admitted to the crime so that he would be sent to a mental health hospital where he could receive treatment for his problems. It turned out that Duilio had a rock solid alibi. He was actually working as a waiter in Denmark at the time of the crime. Copenhagen authorities were contacted and after conducting their own investigation, they confirmed that several witnesses had seen the 34-year-old that day and records showed he had been working at that time. 
No other suspects have ever been arrested, and no other charges have been brought in connection with Vesna's death. Although the case made national headlines at the time, and was even talked about in the local papers of other European countries, it has largely faded from the minds of the public. There is no apparent motive for Vesna's needless slaying, and there are very few theories in her case. The main one is that her death was something to do with her father's diplomatic career. Vesna's father was heavily scrutinized in Bulgaria as he was reluctant to leave West Germany. It likely didn't help that his 28-year-old daughter publicly stated her desire to remain in West Germany also. As a result, Vesna was branded a traitor by her native country, and online sleuths have wondered if the Bulgarian secret service had a hand in her murder. Others, however, have argued that if this was the case, they would likely have chosen a more subtle way of going about things. If Vesna's killer really was between the ages of 20 and 25 in 1980, there is a strong likelihood that he is still alive. However, given the passage of time and the lack of evidence, it seems probable we will never see justice in the case of Vesna Nastiva. Rosemarie Nitribit. Born in Dusseldorf on February 1st of 1933, Maria Roselia August Nitribit, who went by the name Rosemary, did not have an easy upbringing. Born to a charwoman outside of wedlock, Rosemary and her half-sister were brought up for a period of time by their single mother. She never knew her father, who was believed to have been a worker in Dusseldorf who refused to pay child support. Eventually, when her mother served time in prison, Rosemary and her sister were placed into a children's home, and a year later, in 1939, Rosemary was placed with a foster family. A few years later, when she was just 11 years old, she was sexually assaulted by a local 18-year-old man. The horrific crime was covered up, however, and no official reports were ever made to the police, despite the fact that everyone in their village knew what had happened and who the perpetrator was. As a teenager, Rosemary entered the world of sex work. She spent her time in and out of juvenile correction homes, but escaped on numerous occasions. Then, after spending three weeks in a juvenile detention center for vagrancy, she decided to move to Frankfurt, where she worked briefly as a model and a waitress before eventually returning to sex work. Reportedly, Rosemary began hiding her background while she worked. She learned English and French and took etiquette lessons so she could better fit in with the upper class. This allowed her to attract wealthier, more sophisticated customers, and she became well-known for being an excellent conversationalist. Her plan worked, and soon Rosemary was being gifted with expensive cars and luxury trips abroad to the likes of the Mediterranean. She quickly built up wealth and she used her money to buy herself a lavish apartment and a Mercedes convertible, which had red leather upholstery. She would use the car to take her clients to and from her home. In one year alone, she earned the modern equivalent of over $140,000. However, it all came to an end when the 24-year-old was found dead in her apartment. Her death came to the attention of authorities when her cleaner reported that she had been unable to get into the apartment for several days and had noticed her delivery of bread 
was stacking up at the front door. It was estimated that Rosemary had died three days prior, although sloppy police work and a lack of forensics makes it unclear if this was the case. Rosemary's cause of death was established as being strangulation with a nylon stocking, although she also had a head wound. Even after her body was interred, the police hung on to the young woman's head for evidence. It was eventually buried with the rest of her in 2008. While all of Rosemary's clothing, including real fur coats and silk dresses, had been left untouched, the modern-day equivalent of around $34,000 had been stolen from her apartment. Although investigators theorized that robbery was the motive behind the crime, no one could fathom why none of her valuables had been taken. This could perhaps be explained by the fact that the perpetrator would not have to fence any goods if they only stole cash. The 24-year-old was not sexually assaulted, and there was no other obvious motive for the crime. Although rumors began that she tape-recorded conversations with her clients so she could later blackmail them. However, this theory has been ruled out as there has never been any supporting evidence. A detective inspector who worked on the case, Alfred Kalk, stated that while officers had recovered a notebook listing the names of Rosemary's clients, none of them were in massive positions of power to the extent that it would cause a scandal. He claimed that her clientele was mostly ordinary folk and that the highest profile man in the notebook was a bank director. Several US Army officers were allegedly also part of her clientele. They admitted that she had asked for money so that she could pay to have an abortion. However, none of these men were ever considered suspects. The investigation was known to be hasty and haphazard. The prime suspect in the case was a close friend of Rosemary's named Heinz Polman, who reportedly visited her on October 29th, which is possibly the day she was killed. A witness recalled being almost run over by Polman as he sped past the courtyard outside of Rosemary's building. Polman was a 37-year-old businessman whose relationship with the 24-year-old was completely platonic as he was gay. The most suspicious thing, however, was that he was known to be having financial troubles at the time of his friend's death. However, in the days following, he cleared all of his debts and bought himself a new car. He could not explain to investigators where this money came from and gave conflicting information during questioning, although he eventually admitted to stealing from his employers. Evidence appeared to be stacking up against Pullman. He was known to have a key to Rosemary's apartment, which aligned with the fact that the 24-year-old's door had been locked when she was found dead. He also owned gray-colored trousers that had a reddish stain on them. While he initially said that it was rust, an analyst determined that it was human blood. Pullman then changed his tune, claiming the stain was blood, but that it was his own, because he suffered a skin disease which made him bleed from time to time. He also argued that since he had a key to the home, he could have robbed Rosemary any time when she wasn't there. Eventually, the 37-year-old was charged with Rosemary's murder, but he was acquitted in July of 1960 on grounds of reasonable doubt. His defense argued that the authorities failed to measure the precise temperature of the 24-year-old's apartment, which would have been essential in determining the time of death. The blood found on his trousers could not be conclusively linked with Rosemary either, meaning all of the evidence which had been gathered by police was circumstantial. 
therefore leaving room for doubt. The prosecution did not appeal this acquittal. Following his exoneration, Pullman went on to be cast in the lead role of a movie which was based on Rosemary's life and murder. However, this action received significant negative backlash and he was ultimately dropped from the film. He then contacted Soviet authorities in East Germany and offered to sell them the list of Rosemary's clients as he had them all memorized, but they declined this offer. Additionally, Pullman wrote several magazine articles which detailed the last days he had spent with the 24-year-old. But again, these stopped being published when they received negative attention. The only other suspect in Rosemary's case was a Munich grocery store owner whose name was found in her pocketbook alongside the names of several different cities. However, he was shortly cleared of any involvement. Rosemary's story was thought to be outrageous and scandalous by the local media. A failure to solve the case led to further sensationalism and the speculation that high-ranking citizens were trying to stop law enforcement from doing their job and bringing the case to a close. This notion was only fueled when some of the police files in the case went missing shortly after the investigation began. However, these missing files were actually located in police archives in 2013. For a time, there was some speculation that Rosemary's case was linked to the blonde Dolly case in the Netherlands. In 1957, a sex worker named Sybil Nymans was strangled in her home. This case has never been solved. Nine years after Rosemary's demise, another Frankfurt-based sex worker was murdered. Helga Matura's case is, again, unsolved. And it sadly seems likely that Rosemary's murder will continue to share the same fate. And there you have the facts. Please leave a comment down below with your own theories and speculations. And remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. You can also support us on Patreon for as little as $2 each month, which works out at less than 20 cents per video. Thank you for watching. Stay alert, stay safe, and I'll see you next time.